It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, welcome into Reno, Cofield in California. Willie is over at Twin Peaks on Eastern. Come on by. Two, four, and six dollars on select appetizers. Also great prizes available. Willie, what do you got? We are giving away tonight. This is this might be one of the I mean, we've had some pretty cool concerts, but from sports tickets, you can register for a pair of tickets to see the Golden Knights take on the Vancouver Canucks, who they're happen to be visiting tonight. But at T Mobile November twenty sixth. So we're raffling off tickets to see the Golden Knights and Canucks. All right, big game coming up on Saturday, uh, same day as the battle for the Cannon, as we'll have coverage throughout the week, game between Nevada and UNLV. So busy, busy week before we uh, cut it a little bit short for Thanksgiving and Black Friday. Ari's back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Like I said, Willie is over at Twin Peaks. Let's get to it. Big Battleborn. Four. Let's start out with. I just mentioned Thanksgiving. Already thinking about it. I know Willie is. Willie, what are you doing for a feast? Are you making it yourself? Are you going out? Someone else making it? What's going on? Going to mom's. Long is as mom's she... alive, I'm going to her house. And God bless her. She's going to be 80 next year, and she still puts on the full spread. Although this year, she's doing the main, and the guests are bringing the sides. I've been. I'm doing the mac and cheese. Ooh. Do you know how to make mac and cheese? That's the question. I don't know whether I should be offended or just maybe you haven't known me long enough, but like that's just not a cool question. Can so you I bring by a sample? Can, can you bring by a sample to the show? Well, I'm actually not in town for a couple more days, but uh, how about I, how about we meet up with, for leftovers on Friday? If there's leftovers, I'll save you some. Come on, will- cut out a little piece of the mac and cheese and put in some uh, Willyware. We'll see. Maybe I'll make you. You know what? Wow! Look at this. So I'll make you. I'll make you and the SO your own tin for for the holidays. What? Because I use because I I use I use several different cheeses. I use the perfect seasonings. There's a there's a process too. There's the there's layers seasonings. of cooking. Yeah. There's what layers. Goes in? None of your business. Wow! It's a really to secret see, recipe. What kind of what kind of macaroni do you use? What what style? Uh, there. Well, there's different ones. There's the twist. Sometimes it's 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 a blend. I Those don't necessarily good. always turn to the, uh, to the typical like elbows. Elbow, yeah, elbow traditional. Macaroni. Okay. All right. Uh, because there are different ones you can use where where it clings to it. They they, they cling. Um, but like a fusilli is nice. I don't. The rutini gets too soggy. Um, there. But there are different kinds. Nice little. Uh, pasta twist because you like the cheese to sort of wind into it the elbows they're 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 flat right the, the pastas that twist that have the ridges there's several sure. different kinds then the then the cheese gets into it and then when it gets bakes in and you top it with the nice shred with the with the panko and it gets a little crunch i'm in i'm in all right you sold me i'm in okay okay when i'm one, just uh, i'm still a little upset that you asked me do i know how to cut? i mean Dude. Well, I, we needed we needed audio evidence that so you knew what you were doing. You explained it well. You know what you're doing. Oh, nice job. Okay, thank is you. not. I don't want you to insult anyone who's coming to your Thanksgiving. Is there a side that people bring consistently where you're like, okay, mod on, stop bringing this? Yeah, I. 
I, I just it, do it. it depends on it, it depends. Well, the green bean casserole, like just make green beans to me. You know, I'm not big on the whole, really? you know, with the cream of mushroom Ooh. and the this and the that. I, I could do without it. I don't dislike it, but that's the first one that I'll just kind of like when you see those little graphics. One's got to go. It would probably be that. Now, here's the thing. That being said, I that's a side dish. Cranberries to me are not a side. It's a dressing people use to put on top of everything. If I was to get rid of any one type of Thanksgiving food, 100% would be cranberries. I'm not a fan of cranberries. I don't care how you do it. I don't do. I don't care if you throw the oranges in. You put a little spice, a little this, a little that. No, I'm out. Can I tell you one that I have eliminated from my life? But early, sure. if we had big Thanksgiving get-togethers, and my father's side would come over, okay. and someone would bring a Waldorf salad. Oh yeah. You know what that is? I mean, shove the freaking stop. So I, I never like that. Mm. Ever. Yeah, Are crisp you... apples, crisp a- apples, celery, and toasted nuts. Shove it. Please. I just got a. I just literally just got an email. 4.04 p.m. from Mary, Mother Miriam to the group. Uh-oh. Thanksgiving time's the subject. Are you ready? Between 1 to 2 p.m. is a great time to see all your smiling faces. Love to you all. She's hyped. She's excited. Miriam likes one to two, she, This is 1 to 2 on, on, on Thursday? Arrive between 1 to 2, yeah. I can make that. Okay. I'll tell Ari, you. can you make it? Ari's not invited. We'll be live. Sorry. Ah, what, is, what is that? <laughs> what is that? We're, it's Thanksgiving week. Trying to <sighs> trying to embrace everyone here in Cofield and Company, and immediately you pull my invite to Ari. Wow. No. What? Oh yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Ari, Ari's got Ari's got to do production. He'll be in the studio. Thanks anyway. No, He's Ari, do I'm production. Gonna... He's got to do production on Thanksgiving. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He's got the day off. Someone's got to you... so, someone's got to man what, the national stuff. What are you doing on Thanksgiving, Ari? Anything? Uh, I will be going to a good friend's. They invite me every year. Very nice of them. So I go there eat. And I do actually have a little uh, podcasting to do later on that night, which I'm thankful wait, for. Wait a second. What, why, is he, why is he keeping the good friend hidden? Is it Angel the remote tech? Uh, no, but on the spot, Angel, am I invited? Let's go. Can Angel I get a just, second All plate? I know is Angel just threw a thumbs up. All right. I looked to my left, and Angel threw a thumbs up. I don't know what he's watching, what he's doing, but oh, he's man. kicking back, relaxed at Twin Peaks. I had no idea Angel was there. I didn't mean to force Angel to invite. I'm, I'm, for, I'm just... He doesn't have invites. headphones on, but I just looked at him, and he all he knows is I'm looking at him, and he's he's he, now he just pulled one pot out. Ari wants to know if he's invited for Thanksgiving. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, no, he shook his head vigorously with a with a yes, yes, yes. Ari, will you dump oh. your will you dump your unnamed friend for Angel's Thanksgiving? Good friend Denise. No, I will not. It's been wow. a long-standing okay. thing for like ten years now. Wow, this could be a battle. Ari, can hurt, I ask you a no battle? Sorry, Andrew. can I ask you an ethnicity question, Ari? Yes, he is, he is of Indian descent. No, not no, not that. That's not what I want to know. So, like the tradition is like turkey, right? Yeah, turkey or a ham, and then if you extend the holiday, some people do turkey, lamb, or ham. I like lamb sometimes for the Christmas. Is there something traditional in the Jewish household that that like? Is there a traditional dish of some kind? So, like for us Middle Easterners, sometimes for rice. My grandfather used to make Arabic rice, and he would take the insides of the turkey and the gizzards and on that, boil it, just scrape it, clean it, chop it, dice it, throw it in the rice, you know, just to add a little bit of Arabic flair. Is there anything you do? 
Oh, me personally? Well, no, but I mean that your family or when you were younger, is there something on that side that you... Not, not really. Uh, we, we do have like some salad stuff, a little more of a Middle Eastern flair, but nothing, nothing oh, okay. traditional, to be honest. Okay. Number three. Calling an audible, getting rid of our KC story and bringing in a little college football. What a crazy <laughs> weekend, Willie, for college football. To be expected. I, I, I love... The last couple of weeks of the season when everyone's like, oh, it's pretty much done. Now, that's why the CFP is interesting because not everyone can get to the finish line. The Pac-12, right. as we thought, is cannibalizing each other. We'll see if USC can get through a Pac-12 title game. But I will say this, for Lincoln Riley, hell of a first season. They don't have a great defense, but their offense is so insane. I'm glad to see USC in the mix, and I think it's going to be fascinating if Clemson wins out and USC wins out. Because I don't think TCU is going to win out. But if Clemson and SC went out and then Michigan's got one loss, what happens here? What do they do? Do they go with the traditional power in Clemson and let them in? Or do you bring in the L.A. market? Or do you go with a Michigan team, especially if Michigan loses close to Ohio State? Completely intrigued to see what this committee does because it's a new committee. We don't know, based on prior actions, what these guys are going to do, what these guys and women will do. Yeah, I don't it, – it, it is – it's – it's I – have the same questions i had them written down in in the rundown for sunday's show and uh, we ended up having to scrap it because we brought a guest on but uh with what took place and the way that some of these games went down i mean the way that tennessee was just had its hat handed to it um was amazing so well, the other thing the other thing with tennessee do you do you take into account that uh, injuries have taken down their quarterback for the season it's not the same tennessee team anymore well understood but the in, in that case, they they don't belong. I'm just saying, it, it has, it's not. They, they're, at, yeah, they're out. They're, they're out. out. Yeah, they're gone. Yeah. They're out. Um, you know, I think the biggest question on everybody's mind is: Is this committee gonna, you know, do what everyone is worried it's gonna do and allow two lost Alabama to creep its way back into the picture after Ohio State or Michigan win their win, you know, their annual rivalry? And as you said, if TCU doesn't win, I definitely think that USC has done enough to prove that it should be in. The you know, if it wins out, USC should be in the mix. End of story. I, I don't think that they should be leapfrogged. Um, I, I definitely don't believe in Alabama. If anything, Clemson deserves deserves a look. But um, I, I just think that USC is is your is your t- pivotal team there that you move in. Now, if two of these current four drop out. Um, it's going to take a lot to sell me on Alabama leapfrog and LSU. Because Number two. Broncos beat up going into the Raiders game. That's You're not pointing to that as the reason the Raiders won the game. Say that again. The Broncos were beat up going into the Raiders oh. game. You're not pointing to that as the reason why Las Vegas run, won the game, <laughs> no. right? Okay. No, I just saw a headline and I was like, well, okay, is this, you know, is this a uh, – is, is that why? No. I, I think that the Las Vegas won its game because Denver's offense is inept on the whole. Uh, and I think that because it couldn't capitalize against a defense that has struggled all season and has given up the big play through and through and, you know, failed obviously starting with that Arizona game here in Las Vegas where it allowed them to cut the Cardinals to come back in the second half. I mean, little did we know that that was going to be the start of a storyline with a brutal defense that's been just walked over the entire season. Um, if Denver's offense is just a tad better, I don't know if Vegas wins that game and is able to come back. 
there's 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 been spot play now now that being said i think adam brought it up during the uh previously when he was on adam hill from the las vegas adam hill, journal nate hobbs has been a big part of that defense that is has not been with the team you know has been injured uh denzel perryman in and out of the lineup throughout this season his absence definitely made a difference well you saw it when he returned in the first Denver game, I believe it was. Uh, so, I mean, there have been components of this unit that have caused it to fail on the whole. But there are times when it's been, you know, where, where you have to wonder, like that second game against Arizona, why did it let the Cardinals back? So I, I think ultimately the Raiders were able to win the game because Denver's offense just is horrible. Number one. Derek Carr, 307 in the air, game-winning touchdown, two late touchdowns, uh, gets the job done again late in the game, and especially in overtime where he's 8-2. and two. Does that ensure Derek Carr as the guy moving forward for the Raiders? Nope. I don't think so because I don't think that he's going to have – bad way to say that. I don't think that this team is going to be in a position um, – to go on a run strong enough where it points to his strength of play, especially with the way that Josh McDaniels has called games this season. So I'm not sure whether or not him and uh, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler are on the same page in bringing Derek Carr back. I think that they knew what they were doing. The team knew what it was doing when it signed him to his quote-unquote extension which was only guaranteed him one year. Very team-friendly deal for a reason. Big 4-4 four four presented by Battleborn. Uh, injury lawyers, 766-1400. Call from anywhere in Nevada. Devontae Adams, slot right. Matt Collins there as well. First and 10 on the Broncos, 35. Carr, play action again. Looking downfield. Lofts it near corner. Adams wide open at the 5. He walks in, and the Raiders walk off with a win. Touchdown, Devontae Adams, to win it here in Denver. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Wow, what are you trying to do? Rub some uh, jingle bells in the wounds of Denver Broncos, broadcasters, media people, fans. Orlando Franklin's in with us with Cofield and company. You hear the highlight from the Raiders Radio Network. Orlando, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Hanging out with my wife in Costco right now, so I'm having a blast. Oh, there you go. It's always fun going to Costco. So, uh, give me your uh, your impression of what listeners thought today on the Players Club on your radio show on the fan. Oh, man. It's it's just at the end of the day, we're just fed up. Here in Colorado, right? I mean, you sit here and Nathaniel Hackett plays his last card, and that was his last card yesterday morning, you know, moving uh, Clint Kubiak and letting him become the play caller. So uh, the offense looked good early, but ultimately it just went back to its old ways and tried to push the ball down the field, and they held on to the football a little too long. Do you see anything from Kubiak that gives you hope for the rest of the season that the Broncos could get some wins and at least make this coaching staff look better? I don't think it's a coaching problem when it comes to this football team. I think it's an accountability problem. Um, The Broncos have fell into a situation where everybody wants to be able to say, my bad. You know, my bad, I just dropped that ball. My bad, I missed that block. 
uh, well, you're not a good football team. You can't have 11 my bad. Even Russell Wilson had a my bad, right? When the Raiders called the timeout, right there underneath the two-minute warning, and then you get there and it's third and ten, Russell Wilson is not supposed to throw that football. You either take a sack or you're throwing it up in the end zone and hoping for a pass interference call. You do not throw that football to the sidelines and stop the clock in a situation like that. So there's too many guys on this football team that want to be able to say, my bad, and this football team just sucks. And you're not going to be able to overcome the my bad moment. All right. You played the game. Uh, if any of the teams you were on fell into the my bad mode, what do coaches do to fix that? Uh, Peyton Manning would have chewed this out. Peyton Manning would have told the coaching staff that, hey, they're not playing this week. Like, it's the accountability for the Broncos, when I was here, compared to what I see on a week-to-week basis now, it's non-existent nowadays. Um, Kendall Hinton, for instance, I thought he played a pretty good football game yesterday. But at the start of the season, you're the fifth wide receiver for the football team. You aren't on the active roster. You're interviewing for 31 other teams when you get opportunities, but yet you have that drop as well yesterday. So for me, it's really not up to the co- this coaching staff. Hackett's already came in, and from day one, it was Camp Cupcake and how he went about things and not holding guys accountable. We saw how Melvin Gordon was released today. That's the first step to holding the team accountable, but it's too little too late in my opinion. So Orlando, speaking to that, last week, okay, a week ago yesterday, Derek Carr comes into the press conference room in tears couple of questions get him choked up and he says that they just got out of a team leaders meeting in which the leaders address the team sounds like in the same respect in terms of the my bads some of the guys not putting forth the effort what do we see the Raiders respond go up to Denver and win is Russell Wilson in a position in a as the first year quarterback of this team or is there somebody else who is it on the Denver Broncos if it's maybe someone from the defense, considering how good the defense is, who steps up and starts addressing the players like you said Peyton would? Hey, guys, that's already happened with the defense. There was reports at the end of training camp that defensive guys kind of got after Russell Wilson in a situation where uh, it was a defensive heavy. The defense won that drill where Russell tried to call up the offense to get them going and say, hey, let's go, let's go. And defensive players were chirping them in the middle of Russell Wilson's rah-rah period. So for me... That's already tried to happen for the defense, and it hasn't transitioned to wins on the football team. When it comes to Russell Wilson, it's more of a situation where you have the state of the union means you have all these different things going on on a week-to-week basis, but it's not transitioning to guys performing out there on the football field. So for me, I think it's a little too little, too late, and it's going to take a new head coach in here to get this thing under wraps and kind of really be an adult in the room and tell Russ, no, we're going to do things this way and this is the only way we're going to do things. Guys, I, don't, I always go back to my time here in 2011. When, you know, I go through the Kyle Orton and then the, the Tebow mania, and you have Tim Tebow up there on the board, you know, installing plays on Wednesday from the Florida's Gators offense, and then I watch Peyton Manning walk into the building in 2012. When, when Peyton walked into the building in 2012, what happened at that point was, from a team standpoint, the starters, we started taking – more reps immediately. So in a 12-play period, as far as a just a one inside run period, for instance, they would go four for the ones, four for the twos, four for the threes. Peyton stopped that day two into it, where now the ones had to take six reps for every period. And yeah, we were complaining, we were whining about it, but he wanted to get us ready to play. 
and it still took five and a half games in 2012 to get this thing firing on all cylinders, or there were major questions going around Colorado if Peyton still had it. Now, in 2013, that's when Peyton was able to bring more of his stuff into the offense, and that's why we were the highest scoring offense in NFL history. But in year one, it was all about Peyton Manning coming in and learning Mike McCoy's offense. It wasn't Mike McCoy and Peyton Manning collaborating on an offense to make this this new language, essentially. In year two, Peyton Manning had more of a, a stamp on the offense, which that's how it should have been with the Broncos. Hackett came in and said, year one, the heck with my offense. I want to merge it with Russell Wilson's offense and allow him to do the things that he wants to do. And this team has struggled because of it. But also Hackett has publicly said it's about Russ, it's about Russ, where 52 other egos in that locker room understand that football is the ultimate team sport and that no one player could go out there and just have individual success when you're playing football. You always have to rely on another individual in order for you to be successful. And unfortunately with the Broncos, they lost sight of that. And that's why this team has been playing underperforming. And that's why, to me, you're seeing Hackett lose his locker room slowly. Speaking of Orlando Franklin, retired NFL vet host on 104.3 The Fan. Um, so, Orlando, that being said, I mean, as a team, yes, it's, you know, win as a team, lose as a team. But as my partner Steve said earlier today in the show, if the offense scores 18 points, just 18 points in seven of their football games, they're winners. Has the defense yeah. done its job? Has it done its enough? Done enough? Is is which everything you're talking about in terms of being addressed? Is it completely on the offense now? Is the onus on them to fix things on the offense? Absolutely. In 2011, when we had Tebow here, we were winning football games, and I had no idea, fellas, how we were winning football games until I walked in the building on on Monday and I watched the defense play their butts off and kept us in the game the whole entire time. The defense has done enough for the Broncos. The Broncos should be should have won a lot more football games than they have this year. And I'm surprised that we don't hear that there's torn more in that locker room. We don't hear that defensive players are not talking to offensive players. We don't hear that, you know, there has been a fistfight or two. At least those reports have not came out yet. But I'm surprised that it hasn't happened yet because I just remember the characters that I had to play with. The Keith Tlaib, the Marcus Ware, Terrence Knightman, Derek Wolf. Those guys weren't having it. And you better show up and work your butt off and take care of your end of the bargain. Football is divided into thirds. All three phases have to take care of their job in order for us to have an opportunity to win. Broncos offense has virtually did nothing this year to take care of their third. Last minute here, Orlando. It sounds like you're done with Hackett. You don't believe he can turn it around. Does that mean that he's done at the end of the year? What do these new owners do? I think they're going to absolutely go in a different direction at the end of the year. Um, it's going to be. It's going to take a, a coach. We just saw Hackett give up the play calling. There's a reason why he had to give up the play calling, in my opinion. Right? Obviously, it hasn't worked with you and, and Russell Wilson. Heck, guys, these guys are not even running a wide zone. They threw that out the window five weeks ago. So the 10,000 snaps that you had all this offseason, all the days in the training camp, you completely just went in a different direction when it comes to that and went into a more running style of Latavius Murray. So there's, it's been too much flip-flopping where, for me, it's going to take a strong-minded head coach in there that can micromanage 53 personalities, which that's the job of a head coach in the National Football League. But Nathaniel Hackett has not shown me that he could do that. And unfortunately, because of that, you're going to be gone, in my opinion. If you love the Broncos and you're in Vegas or in Reno, you can hear 8 to 10 Pacific time, Orlando, on the Players Club, on the fan in Denver. Orlando, thank you so much. Thanks for carving out time while you're shopping. We appreciate it. 
Hey, thanks, fellas. Have a great day. There he is. Uh, the big guy, Orlando Franklin, down like 90 pounds. We talked about his big weight loss deals, uh, reconfigured his life. And uh, boy, oh, boy, he's a guy who went to Miami. The Canes aren't doing too well. But, uh, you know, year one there, crystal ball's not going bye-bye. Hackett could go out after this year, which I think, it, you know, is always a shocking thing to me in the National Football League. But doesn't seem to be getting much better right now, Willie. No, in, in but Cristobal, Cristobal, Cristobal at least will be able to say that he had a successful, more successful campaign than Hackett because if they win this week in Pittsburgh, they become bowl eligible. I actually looked at that game today. It's one of the, I think there are, I want to say, 13 teams playing in six specific games, no, or 13 games in that have bowl implications where teams have five wins. There would have been 14 if UNLV would have won, but that's not the case. But there are 13 games in, in college football starting tomorrow in which teams can become bowl eligible. So if you're looking for an edge with the point spread, look at those five-win teams and where it can be applicable to play. And one of them, Auburn, plus 20-and-a-half, I believe, at Alabama. I didn't get time to ask uh, Orlando going out there, but George Payton's the guy who hired Hackett. Does he get to stay around, the GM? You give him a second a shot at hiring a coach? When the coach goes sometimes, when, every, when everything fails the way this team has failed, doesn't everybody got to go? A lot of people like Peyton up there, and they think he's done a pretty good job with town evaluation, but uh, it was a big mistake. And, again, I don't want to harp on nepotism every time, but that one seemed like a weird decision to me to give Nate Hackett a head job. It's Nevada Sports Talk Hour right here on ESPN Reno and ESPN Las Vegas, it's brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Backwards pass to McCaffrey, and he's going to throw downfield wide open. Brandon Ayew, touchdown! San Francisco! He can run! He can catch! Christian McCaffrey can throw! Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Greg Papa, Tim Ryan, Niners Radio Network with uh, the McCaffrey uh, triple touchdown game a couple of weeks ago. Caught one, ran one, threw one. No Kyler Murray tonight. No. Willie Ramirez. Looks like no DeAndre Hopkins as well with a hammy. Mm. Niners are favored by 10. They're mm. both on the road in Mexico City. Mm. Do you trust the Niners to cover that big a number against the Cardinals, who actually weren't bad last week with Colt McCoy in there? No, I don't. And it's not has nothing to do with the Niners. I'll be real honest with you. It's, you know, um, it's one of those games where this is a big number, right? But you would think with how well San Francisco's playing, the fact that Cardinals are on the road, I know San Francisco is as well, but the fact that neither one has a home field advantage, and with as well as San Francisco has improved, we're seeing the defense get stronger, we're seeing the rushing game with the arrival of McCaffrey, right? This should be, I mean, you would think, as our good friend JVT would say, the betting market, the price should be a little bit higher in all things considered without Kyler Murray without Hopkins, but it's not. It's an indicator where this could be a two-touchdown game and the Cardinals scoring garbage timing and get through the back door. Personally, I like the under because I think with the fact that you – with what we talked about, McCoy in, 
no Hopkins, Cardinals got to turn to a ground to pound. They got to run the ball. They got to play keep away. They got to keep the ball out of San Francisco's hands. San Francisco has bolstered the rushing attack, and its strength is on defense. It has the makings of a low-scoring game. I personally have a play on the under in this one. Both teams, by the way, rank in the top ten in total yards allowed on the ground. Frisco number one, Arizona number ten. So it's going to be a physical battle. What's your number on the total? I got it early. All right, right now it's 43. Yeah, I got 44. How about the I, I total, think it opened 45, how about the, by the way. total players in the Buffalo <laughs> the Cleveland game in Detroit? If you couldn't get a refund on that initial ticket and some houses honored the first ticket, the number got as low as 43 and a half. It jumped back up to 49, 49 and a half. And then in the end, it winds up going over every single number. It didn't matter. 31 yeah. 23, Buffalo. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, John Murray came on the show yesterday and spoke about how, you know, normally players are very upset when their tickets get canceled over over things, and they, ha- and they end up with no action. So he came on and he said how this has been – they have did nothing ever since the game, you know, went down, Detroit, came back up, and they just said live action because it, and – and it stipulates live action no matter where the game's played. Um, he said that they were just livid, livid all week. Did you bet the Cowboys? Yes, twice. I bet the Cowboys on the Ooh. spread. And I pulled a Willie Cofield on yesterday's show with Lindsay, our girl downtown Lindsay Brown. She's a Vikings fan. Someone owes me lunch. Oh wow, you went head to head. Yeah, yep, yeah, straight up went head to head. She uh she was she she was emphatic. I think it was personally, I think it was because she didn't wear Vikings gear. Saturday for Throw the Flag, she had on a Golden Knights beanie and an L.A. Kings hoodie. You know, she's a big hockey person, former goalie. Yesterday, no sign of Viking gear. I had my, I had a Cowboys pullover, and you know, I don't wear a lot of gear gear, but I had the Cowboys pullover on. So we had a bet. Wow. We're gonna go, go. We're gonna do some Christmas shopping together. Just hang out at the, up at maybe downtown Summerlin. She's buying lunch. It's time to follow this guy. I think you had the Bears team total over too, right? Yeah. Well, that was a JVT special. My guy, okay. he, JVT, I, I can't take that. He gave it to us when he was a guest on Throw the Flag. He, he explained some stuff, and it, was, it came in good. But we squeaked it out. They had 17 points at the, ha- at the half, and all of a sudden then they, got their, you know, they got to 24 early. But we were sweating it out for a minute because it was 23 and a half. John Von Tobel, Vison is in next here on Cofield and Company. He'll give us leans and likes for the next week in the NFL. We'll look back a little bit. Cofield and Company brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 766-1400. Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Von Tobel. All right, let's get to it with JVT from VSIN. Uh, John, first of all, what are we seeing on action with the announcement that Murray is inactive? By the way, I'll correct what I was saying a couple minutes ago that DeAndre Hopkins is out. It looks like he is active, but how's the market reacting right now to no Kyler Murray for the Cardinals against the Niners? Uh, so they're getting up to 10. Like, there's a lot of 10s that flash on the board. But I will say it does seem some cooler heads have prevailed. Um, you know, spots where you can read into the number because the respected opinion has a little bit more influence. But Surico Westgate uh, down to 9.5 after peaking at 10. So I think, look, the market does this all the time. We, we knew that there was a chance of this happening. Uh, once those reports early in the week came out, of course, that it was probably likely that he's not going to be ready for this game. Uh, that number went to 8. 
And then when it was officially official, as uh, we say, then, of course, it gets up to 10, and the market kind of overreacts on these things. Like, this, those sorts of news bits are baked into a number like that. And sure enough, when that comes down, the market overreacts, and you've seen some overcorrection. You've seen some buyback there. But I think getting to 10 was a, a little too strong, and you're seeing, I think, cooler heads prevail in taking those 10s and making it 9.5 at the very least. John Von Tobel is with us. For you yesterday, what was the most shocking result? Was it the uh, Vikings being blown off the field by the Cowboys? Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, as, as somebody who had, had bet the Vikings and as somebody who thought uh, that, you know, hey, look, when you're talking about a power rating perspective, I thought the Cowboys were a little overvalued. Um, that I think that maybe the Vikings should have been favored in that game. Now, one result doesn't really take me off of that, right? Because a lot of people go, see, you were wrong. That's one game, and it's a small sample size. Uh, I would probably bet it again if you were to tell me that they were going to replay one more time. Um, but, look, I think the Cowboys offensively, here's the thing, Steve. One of the things that has irritated me about the Cowboys uh, is that they haven't really bought into Tony Pollard as a real offensive weapon. He was, again, pretty active for them, scored a big touchdown, had a good amount of yardage, was very explosive. If they're going to start to get a little bit more even and they're split between Zeke Elliott and Pollard, I think that offense has a really big potential. But you also saw how good that pass rush is, man. It was incredible for them. But, yes, I think the, just the degree to which they beat the Vikings, I would say that is the most shocking for me. JVT, Saturday morning you turned me on to something that Chicago has been doing, and I checked out that offense. I played the team total as you instructed, but now it seems as your insight has been shot. Yeah, well, Justin Fields dislocated his shoulder, apparently. That was uh, (laughs) pro football talk at the report about 30 minutes ago, uh, and his status for this weekend is unknown. And even if he does play Willie, look, this Jets defense, I mean, we saw it over the weekend. Um, the, the, what they just did to New England, it's New England's offense incredible. But this Jets run seven is really good, man, and they play the run really well. And even if Justin Fields comes into this healthy and ready to go, I would say that this is the time. If you look at this run of opponents that Fields has done this against, you're talking about some lesser defenses, a lot of defenses who rank in the bottom half of the league and a lot of metrics against the run. This is not one of those teams. So even if you get Fields out there, I wonder what his status will do for this number from a team total and a actual total perspective. But I would think it's this time to start maybe betting against it, at least against this opponent, because the other opponents have been perfect for him to go over that total for a team total perspective and for just a game over perspective. Not the case this time around, I think. You know, we talked about uh, the Giants line against the Lions being really short, and then it turns out it was actually right on the money. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe the Lions should have been favored. Lions blow out the Giants. So is this a blip and there's value moving forward on the Giants, or are we now going to see the true Giants down the stretch? No, I don't think it's a blip. Like, I think this is kind of what, like, look, you know, people call them fishy lines, but I think, you know, out of all of these games over the weekend and all these teams, right, there's a lot to point to with the New, with the New York Giants This is that screams this is not a legitimate, uh, at this point now, what, 7-3 and three team in the NFL. I mean, after losing that game, they're 7-3 and three with a point differential of plus one. If you look at their EPA numbers, their, their DVOA numbers, like, they're all below average. This is a team that has been winning one-score games. This is a team that has been getting it done in clutch situations. But those are not things that are sustainable moving forward. So I would say no. Like, I don't think it's a blip on the radar at all. And I think that maybe we start to see this house of cards kind of fall apart on the New York Giants uh, as we move forward here. It'll be really interesting, Steve, because, you know, if they're catch a nine against Dallas, nine and a half, uh, it'll be really interesting to see how bad it gets. I feel like they're a little bit more confident than that. Um, but I do think that this was kind of a showing of, look, you are not as good as your record says you are as the cliche. Speaking of JVT, Jonathan Von Tobel, VSIN, of course, part of Cofield & Company. Basically, he's the mayor of Sports Talk Radio in Las Vegas. Switching from the gridiron to the hardwood, just as you drew it up, the best cover teams in the NBA as of today, the Kings, the Jazz, and the Blazers, and the Pacers. 
Yeah, and well, and this is worth pointing out for a couple of reasons, Willie. So first off, uh, the Kings, the, the the betting market was all over them at the start of the preseason. Uh, they got their win total bet up. Uh, they were a very hot ticket, and they continue to be so. But they have covered 73.3% of their games. They're 11-4 and against the spread. Uh, they are the best cover team in the league so far. But the other teams you mentioned, right, in Utah, we thought they were going to be tanking. Just how about this? So of the teams, the top four teams that we're talking about here, two of them had win totals of sub-25.5. The Portland Trailblazers and the Sacramento Kings both had win totals before the season started of uh, less than 35.5. So, like, these are teams that were not expected to do very well, and it kind of speaks to how well they're covering, right? Because these are teams that are generally catching some big numbers, or at least in Sacramento's case, at the beginning of the season, catching some relatively big numbers. But I always talk about market adjustments. And, like, right now, like, I'm sitting here watching this Indiana Magic game, but right now the Indiana Pacers are down to Orlando. Yep. They closed as a seven-point favorite in this game. And they closed as a six-and-a-half-point favorite when they played Orlando over the weekend. The market adjusts. And so when you're talking about a Pacers team that at one point had covered nine straight games, but had closed out as an underdog in seven of them and catching on average five-and-a-half points, it is a very big change for that team to then start laying these point totals. So I'm going to be interested to see how the market adjusts because these teams are starting to show some cracks, specifically Portland, Utah, and Indiana. And I would expect that they start to fall down the standings, at least when it comes to a cover standpoint, and actually straight up because they've been winning some games too. And you, speaking of that game that you're watching, that was one of your plays on VEASAN with your betting market report. And I took it, took it a step further after reading that, the, the conversation that you and I had with that point spread differential metric, and it found Orlando with a 1.4 edge. And then when you factor in the point spread, Magic plus 5.1. So a lot of good things that you're producing over there, VEASAN, and then add in that little metric you and I talked about. I'm kind of excited to follow that. Let's talk about Rookie of the Year. Paolo Bancaro was as high as minus 900, but what's taking place there? Uh, well, he hasn't played for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, this, this is kind of the thing that, like, I, and I harped on this. You know, we had an episode of my uh, NBA podcast over at VEASAN, Harvard Handicapper, and we talked about it a couple of times. Minus 900 is an implied probability of over 90%. And to say, at that point, it was seven games into the season, to say that anybody has a 90% chance of winning an award seven to nine games into an NBA season is absolutely ridiculous. And so, sure enough, I mean, and again, and one of the biggest things is injury. You don't know if he's going to stay healthy. What happened? He suffers an ankle injury. He's been out for the last two weeks. He hasn't been coming back. Some of these injury reports, he hasn't even been listed as questionable now. He's just getting listed out, you know, day before the game. So he's not coming close to coming back, it seems. But even if he does, Benedict Matherin, who is playing his team, by the way, continues to perform extremely well. Uh, guys like Jaden Ivey on the Detroit Pistons, you know, the other night had back-to-back um, 20-point games for the first time in his career. Like, these guys continue to play really good basketball while Paolo Carroll still sits at over $7. It is very much when the prices get out of whack like that in your interest to go look for value elsewhere. Guys like Jaden Ivey were 25-1. to 1 to win the award when he got as high Ben Carroll as minus 900. Nobody's ever that high to win that award that early in the NBA season. Let's go back to the NFL and get to some week's uh, 12 numbers before we hit a little college football mm-hmm. with John Von Tobel, VEASAN, part of the company as well. We didn't give an angle, lean alike, on the other Thanksgiving game, and that is the Bills laying a very healthy nine back in Detroit again, this time against the home team, the Lions. Yeah, I think so. I want to back Detroit, Steve, like when they're taking on teams. Like, for example, like over the weekend, I, I didn't play Detroit against the Giants, but I did bet the team over because I felt like they would be able to have offensive success against New York in their run defense. So that's where I think New York, the, the Lions are going to be pretty live, right? They covered and won outright against the Chicago Bears, all right? They won outright against the Detroit Lurking, the New York Giants. But those have two teams that are really susceptible to really good running games. This is not what they're going to face against Buffalo. 
So I would think that with their just horrendous passing defense, that this is going to be a spot for Buffalo indoors in a fast track to be able to kind of work their magic and do what they want to do. So I would very much lean to the side of Buffalo a little bit. The market's come off at 10, it's at 9, but I just don't think the matchup's there for them. And to give you an idea, too, of the volatility, I mean, we saw this number get bet up 51.5 on the total of 54. I would think that this is a game that's going to be a little bit more lopsided in favor of Buffalo. Too much respect again this week for the Raiders, or is this number about right? Seattle, three and a half, hosting Vegas. Uh, wait, Seattle and Vegas? Oh, yeah, so here we go. So I was looking at the wrong one. I'm sorry, I got mixed up. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened there. Uh, yes, yeah, Seattle and Vegas. So I would say, like, the market's not giving them respect, right, because it opened three and it went immediately to three and a half. So, like, the market actually says, no, we're finally in a key number and letting it set a three in the hook here against uh, the Raiders. I would say what I'm interested in, Steve, so – you saw at the end of that game, they kind of cracked the Broncos' defense, had some big plays to Devontae Adams, and of course they win the game. Seattle has been really lucky, and they have played some teams that have not performed very well defensively. But then when they run into a team that has some adequate defensive play, like the Kansas Bay Buccaneers, their offense really kind of stymies, and they don't really look that good defensively. And sure enough, you see that happen, and they lose that game to Tampa Bay as well. I wonder if their defense starts to show some more cracks against another somewhat competent passing attack, at least one that is capable of explosiveness in the Las Vegas Raiders. I hate to say this as somebody who's been regularly playing against the Raiders on the road, but this is a change, right, because they're not a road favorite anymore. Now the market has adjusted back the other way, and the market is starting to move against Las Vegas. And now when you're talking about key numbers of the hook, it might be starting to look to play on Las Vegas as opposed to against them. Massive spots in college football, USC 5 against Notre Dame. Dude, man, I want to say Notre Dame. I really do. When you look at the way that Notre Dame can run the ball and the way that USC defensively has played up against the run, uh, they have not been good this year. I'll get the exact EP numbers here in a second, but I would think that the way Notre Dame can run this against a team that ranks 130th against the run, if you look at it from an EPA standpoint, that this is going to be one where USC might be might be broken here. Like, this is a really competent rushing attack, and it is somewhat one-dimensional because of that. But when you can work off a play action and get your tight end involved the way that Notre Dame can, I think this might set up here for a pretty good uh, spot for Notre Dame as opposed to looking at USC. Because not only, as we saw over the weekend, right, Dorian Thompson-Robinson did not look very good, and still that was a very tight game in which they gave up a lot of points. We saw that against Arizona. USC got in a little bit of a mini shootout as well. I don't really trust them defensively, and the market has come down a little bit. The Circa opened at 6, so the total is 62.5. Reading into the number again, there was no rush to lay under 7. In fact, the 6 was snatched up, and it's 5.5. So I think it beat Notre Dame for me. Two games in 60 seconds. First, Ohio State is 7.5 against Michigan. Man, this is, so I would say, now here's the thing, to your point, there's some surprise there, but it has come off of 8, right? That's where Circa opened at 8, and they came off the 8 to 7.5. There is a little bit of movement in favor of Michigan, but... I kind of want to play Ohio State. I think Michigan's kind of fraudulent. They might be exposed this weekend. And the battle for the cannon. Nevada's getting 12 against UNLV. Yeah, I'm sorry, but give me Nevada. Uh, <laughs> like we, we watched that over the weekend. It was a very disappointing performance. I'm not, I think UNLV wins this game. Obviously, they're a 12.5, 13-point favorite. But to cover such a big number like this, uh, I think in a rivalry spot is a lot to be asked for an offense that looked a little disjointed against Hawaii this, this last weekend. John, appreciate it. Good job, buddy. We'll talk to you. All right, see ya. At me, JVT.
does the uh, NBA uh, betting board uh, every morning? I know you're starting to follow. Willie's starting to he's starting to get into the NBA. He get, you got on me for uh, getting you into betting in general. Uh, more yeah. on the NFL. Are you going to start? You're going to start pounding the NBA. Let's you go. Know. It might be. You never know. We're just jumping in, just teasers, everything. You name it. Just start locking them up. It, who knows what's going to take? I think place. you're being sarcastic, but I don't trust that you're going to stay away completely from I'm the not. NBA. I think you're. I think you're getting in. I'm not. College basketball, NBA, I'm all, I'm all back in. As long as I stay disciplined and play what I can lose, then I'm good. Willie's got Golden Knights tickets to give away for Saturday's game, so get on down to the Twin Peaks on Eastern. He's got tons of other good prizes as well. Uh, the ladies are there with the 29-degree beers, big beers under four. Select appetizers, two, four, and six dollars. Thanks for checking in, Reno. You can listen to the entire show, the archives of it at lvsportsnetwork.com. See you, Willie. Have fun tonight.